this is Join the Dots, the podcast about the impacts of everyday choices for our health, wallets and planet. Welcome to our new series, The Mystifying Expertise. While making our regular podcast, we are connecting with experts in many fields, some familiar, some less so. In this series, we'll learn about what they do and how they see the world. Edge, who are you now and what do you do? I'm the founding director of FTEC Economics for the Environment Consultancy. I'm also a member of the Climate Change Adaptation Committee as an economist, and I'm also the co-host of this podcast. One of the first things that struck me is you have, to my eyes, a large and successful environmental economics consultancy. So could you tell me a little bit about FTEC? We are 21 people now, and we are, I think, the first consultancy in the UK that was set up to do just environmental economics. We do a number of services. One of them is valuing the environment in economic terms so that it can have a more visible presence when people making economic decisions. We use that kind of evidence in appraisal of big infrastructure projects or appraisal of policies at the national or local levels. We have more recently started to use economic evidence to do new kind of accounting. We call it natural capital accounting to replicate how financial accounting works with environmental information. So it's not forgotten in some annex, but it actually is considered at the board level of organizations just as financial things are. We also work a lot in the chemicals policy area, both for regulators and industry representation to contribute to reducing the harmful effects of chemical use on workers, consumers and the environment. And we, of course, provide support and training across all these areas for our clients. So most of my work is understanding the economic values and using that evidence in appraisal. There are other environmental economists who work on creating policies and incentives to change behaviour. And there are, of course, all these macroeconomists that that are almost an alien species because environmental economics is part of micro, the small stuff, the firm and individual households rather than changes at the economy scale. So you said you were the founding director. Did you set it up on your own? Were you completely on your own? And when did you do that? Uh, No, I wasn't completely on my own. I think it's one of these necessity is the mother of all inventions. I did a master's in environmental economics at UCL with David Pierce, and he was possibly the most influential environmental economics in his lifetime and since in UK and globally. And he was the course director and I was in the second year of the course and I was fascinated by his work. In fact, I read his first book on this called Blueprint for Green Economy. He gave me a copy in summer of 1990 when I visited him 
And in 91, I enrolled in his master's. I had absolutely no choice after reading that book. I was going to become an environmental economist. And during the course, when we were talking about dissertation topics, he said, there's this one topic that no one wants to do, but I promise you, whoever volunteers to do this topic, I will be their supervisor. I had no idea what the topic is, but recognized that I wanted to work with David. So I was the first one to raise my hand and he said, "Okay, this is your topic. And it was something about whether price changes in the market were good signals of scarcity when you looked at minerals and metals. Anyway, that journey started and I loved working on that. And I started applying for jobs, as you do, um, before you finish your studies. And I think I got one rejection letter out of several tens of applications. No one wanted environmental economists in consultancies. And maybe because, you know, I have this funny name and probably my English wasn't as good as it is now. I don't know what my cover letter, what state that was in. And I was thinking of going back to Turkey and my dad said, that's not success, is it? You can't give up that easily. You should set up your own. But you must have a British friend and a partner. And Paul Steele was one of my best friends in the Masters. And he's now the chief economist of the International Institute for Environment and Development. He was like, we can't do this alone. Of course, we couldn't do this alone. I was 22, he was 23, and we had not a single day of work experience between us. So we went to David's at our graduation. Paul literally pushed me one step forward to ask David if he would like the idea of supporting us. I had handwritten what I was going to say to David, and you know, halfway through the first paragraph, he said, "Yeah, yeah, I've got a project. You know, you can do this after you submit your dissertation. If you do a good job, I'll give you another project. If you don't, you know, goodbye." So we started about two weeks after we submitted our dissertations, early August 1992. And we haven't stopped really. For a very long time, we were three, four people at most. And in the last 10 years or so, with the help of amazing colleagues, three of them are now directors of FTEC, that we've come to be this size. I'm just wondering how you supported yourself in that brief period when you were setting up. My dad, really. He had an auction house in Whitechapel. He sold secondhand cars. But he'd also had set up a charity, an environmental one called Green Circle Club. He wanted to replace all the bollards with trees. So he was ahead of his time. He gave us a porter cabin, stationary supplies, and I think £200 to buy some books or something. When were you able, as a consultancy, stand on your own two feet? How long did that take? We thought that we'll do this for a year and see what happens. And then someone said to me that you wouldn't know if a company had any long-term future in less than five years. I was like, five years? Five years was such a long time at the time. But I think by year five, we were getting invited to tenders on our own. And people were saying about FTEC and David Pierce's and Kerry's involvement were very important, uh, that endorsement. And they worked on all our projects in early years. And I still work sometimes with Kerry. And yeah, once you start getting your name around, people started talking about your work and then it spreads. So at the end of five years, it felt like you'd employed a few people, you were being invited to tender, it felt sustainable. And also we had a business model that we don't do everything ourselves. And I think environmental economics is particularly exciting for that. All our projects are multidisciplinary efforts because economists, we're there to introduce frameworks. We're there to help people make decisions. 
make the pros and cons much more transparent and ask awkward questions. So our business model has always been a small core team and inviting people from our wider network to set the best team who could tackle that particular question for that particular client. So what is a sort of normal day? What are the things that you get involved in? What do you do? A good chunk of my time these days is really working for my team, making sure that the business systems are in place or I'm in this very lucky position of reading everyone else's work and saying, how about this? How about that? That's what you earn with spending lots of years in a field. One of the things I'm really curious about at the moment is how we can make more of the evidence we already have. There's endless calls to produce more evidence to reduce impact on the environment. But how can we get better at communicating that evidence? How can we get better at making the evidence relevant for the people who are having to make the decisions? One of your current roles is you sit on the Adaptation Committee of the Climate Change Committee. And the Climate Change Committee was set up by the Climate Change Act in 2008 a sort of group of experts who can advise the government on what they should be doing and which sectors should be doing what at any one time in order to reach our climate change targets. But can you tell me a bit about what the Adaptation Committee does and whether in your role there you have a bit more power? Yeah, so what you described there is what the Mitigation Committee and Secretariat that supports the committee does. In the adaptation side, we have two duties under the Climate Change Act. One is to provide evidence on climate change risks globally and its effects on the UK. And the other one is a scrutiny role. So government publishes national adaptation plans and every two years we write a progress report. We look at whether the government has delivered on its promises. And we make recommendations at the end of that progress report as to what priorities there should be and what actions could be taken. We don't make government decisions. We give the evidence and we make recommendations, but it's up to the government to make the policies and actions. Climate change risks affect all sectors and all groups in the society. So the risks need to be communicated for all of them. So it's quite a tough challenge. And committee members are supported by an incredible secretariat. And also the evidence reports, which come out every five years, are called climate change risk assessment. And the third one is going to come out next summer, 2021. They are prepared by an army of experts and they go out for review. Thousands of comments are made. So they're kind of collective work. And the committee with the secretariat prepares a synthesis report of all that evidence focus on what does this evidence mean when we are thinking about our businesses, our households, our government policy. Am I more influential in that role? Of course, the committee is influential and its independence is, I think, the most influential element. How did the girl from Turkey end up coming to the UK and setting up your environmental economics consultancy? What have you learned along the way? And if you were starting out again, are there things that would be helpful to know? I studied economics in Istanbul University and I had a prof. He used to teach public economics and he was the first person I heard talk about externalities. 
Now, externalities is the sort of reason for environmental economics to exist. The example he gave was that if you choose to smoke you know, in a room, your smoke will affect other people, make them uncomfortable, give them health impacts. And that was an externality because it wouldn't affect you any more than being a smoker, but an action that you took affected someone else. And that was a concern for economics. I hadn't heard that before. And that introduced me to the idea of environment, which I cared about. You know, I was sort of following Greenpeace, but I was a bit too scared to chain myself to things. But I thought, well, maybe environment is an economic concern because any economic decision has an impact in the environment, whether you're an individual or a big company. My studying in Turkey was in English because Turkey was very keen on opening to the world and you had to teach people foreign language, a European one at the time. I'm sure in future we'll start learning Chinese as well. And lots of university degrees were actually taught in English. And this was the first year Istanbul University opened economics taught in English. So I'm particularly interested in how you found it as a Turkish woman in London. So language you can improve. Name is always a difficult one. (laughs) Only last week I had to do a sort of phonetic spelling of my name for a chair, which actually is wonderful because in early days, people would be too shy to ask how to say my name. So they would have a go and it wouldn't sound like my name, but I would respond to it anyway. But now actually people are more coming forward. They're asking before they announce my name, how to say it, which is lovely. I didn't really think about being an immigrant that much. Maybe I'm just too focused on one thing. I was just trying to be a good environmental economist and really learn. I was always very focused on the next thing to learn because that kept me going and that still keeps me going. Learning something new is what really interests me. I'm sure it set me back in lots of ways being an immigrant woman. But I didn't focus on those. I tried to focus on the positives. And the advice I would give is to do that more. There were many, many nights I would go home and cry thinking that I can't do this because David Pierce would send me back bits of report entirely crossed over. This needs to be written better. He was very demanding, but that's why he was so good. But you learn it's not easy. But if you like something, if you find joy in your job, then you must carry on because you'll get over those hurdles. I feel very lucky, really. So in terms of advice you might give to others who are embarking on a journey or the start of their career wondering what to do, is there any advice that you would give maybe young environmental economists? There are, I think, two things. One is what we can call a professional humility. Economics is great in many ways, but environmental economics is really a multidisciplinary endeavor. So when you're approaching a problem from an environmental economics perspective, try and see who else should be involved in that. Going back to David Pierce, actually, he used to say, we need to focus on fundamental problems, not proxy problems. We're just too many people in the world. That's a problem. Well, actually, the problem is in the system of how we consume resources per person. And where are the problems in the 
economic system that you can handle. But the solutions will lie with working with other people. Actively seek collaboration, not just be open to it, because that would make a more joyful work, but also more influential work. And the second thing is really work on your empathy for people. You need to always ask, what does my client need? What does the decision maker need? It's not about what's important for you as the advisor, but what will make them move. And these two are sometimes the same thing, but often they're not. So you need to always ask these questions, put yourself in someone else's shoes to be able to action change and to keep your team together moving and to disseminate your ideas. You mentioned that you'd like to talk a bit more about welfare economics. So economics has the word echo at the beginning, and it's a Latin word, and it means household, I think. And in Greek as well, it means house. And we share that root with ecology as well. So you can't manage your home from one angle only. You know, you can't just heat it. You also have to clean it and you have to also have food in it. So lots of different things to think about. But economics is defined as the art or science of allocating limited resources amongst our limitless needs and wants. While sometimes we comment on what we should want and what we should need, most economists tend to just focus on what the trade-offs are. Because if you're doing A, you won't be able to do B. Yes, we use money as a metric, but money is not the only thing that we care about. Especially in welfare economics, what we care about is what makes people happy. Of course, money income is part of what makes people happy, but so is health. So is a clean environment. So is living in a safe society, a society that you feel belonging to. Obviously, very important for me as an immigrant. And all these things are concerns for an economist because you can't give people more income at the cost of these other things. But you also can't give them not enough income because you want to spend money on these other things. So if economics is about trying to understand the implications of allocation, implications of our decisions, we need to keep in mind all implications. And we need to keep in mind all resources, not just money, but also time, emotions, energy, and natural resources, of course. I'm an environmental economist after all. None of these things are limitless. And that challenge is what's interesting. We do have a PR issue as environmental economists that we need to work on. Absolutely. Okay, this podcast, what is it that you are hoping to achieve through the podcast? Why this podcast now? Because writing reports wasn't enough anymore. Um, That's a very personal reason to do it. I really wanted to speak You know, you learn a certain language, you learn a certain way of expressing your ideas. And after a while, you think everyone speaks like that. But actually, people understand the words, but they don't understand the argument because you're not talking their language. So I wanted to challenge that in myself. I could see that lots of the environmental discussions and economic ones was just like, pick the easiest angle to do, pick the easiest criterion to help with the decision. And I couldn't find something that was giving me a more holistic view. How can I approach a problem where I can look at all of its pros and cons and where I can make my decision on what's important for me? 
Yes, I have to simplify very complex worlds, but I must do that simplification after I understand the complexities. So do I have the answers? No. Podcast is an excuse to explore how we can understand the complexity, the big picture, and how we can focus on what's relevant for an individual or for a household or for me, really. Eche Uzdemirola, one of the things I've learned is that you have enormous drive and I'm really intrigued to know what now. What I really want in the next 10, 20 years that I will hopefully continue work is to make sure that environmental concerns are right in the centre of people's decisions. When the politicians make announcements, when CEOs make announcements, it's not that jobs, economy, GDP, turnover, profits, and also the environment. But actually, the conversations start with the environment, not because they have become morally more interested in the environment, but because they have realized that putting the environment in the center of their decisions makes business sustainability sense, makes economic sense, make political and social sense. And it's already happening. The first half of FTEC's life, most of our clients were public sector because private sector businesses, whether they're big or small, weren't interested in thinking about environmental economics or environment and economics together. Now we have more private sector clients, and these are not just big companies. They are companies of any size. They're leaders in their field, that's for sure. I want to continue to find the champions in their field and support them to bring environment to the centre of decisions. And I think we can do it. Eche Ustemirola, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the rest of the team, Tara Uygur on podcast production and Neil McEwen on sound and music. If you enjoyed this, look out for our upcoming episodes and all other info on our website, jointhedotspodcast.com. Listener.